Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 3 of Stress Management, a weekly podcast on biblical character traits that help people cope with difficult trials. In installments 1 and 2, we looked at the role of faith and commitment in dealing with difficult life circumstances, and today I would like to examine the role of patience, especially as it was exemplified in the life of the famous Old Testament character Job, who had a book of the Bible named after him. A little about this book, it's actually technically poetry, has 42 chapters, and perhaps was written by Job, but we don't know for sure. This man Job was a contemporary, perhaps, of Abraham. So he lived about 3,800 or 4,000 years ago, and this book of Job was perhaps the first book of the Bible ever written since the Torah, the first five books in order, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, came along during the time of Moses, which was some 400 plus years after Abraham. So come with me to the land of Uz, U-Z. That is where the scripture tells us that Job lived. It was somewhere in the Middle East, might have been in northwestern Saudi Arabia or western Jordan or southern Syria. And we certainly don't have time in a 20-minute podcast to read great portions of the book of Job, but let's begin with chapter 1, verse 1, and do a little. In the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So you can think of him as the ancient equivalent of a billionaire today. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So we don't know if they were married, but they were all adults and apparently independent, and they were on good terms with each other. Perhaps they got together to celebrate birthdays. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. In other words, he was a sort of intercessor. He didn't have the Bible. It hadn't been written. He didn't have the Jewish people to look to. They didn't exist yet. There weren't synagogues or churches or pastors. And what was known of God had been passed down by oral tradition. But he knew that His children needed to have right standing with God, and he did what he could to bring them before the Lord and ask for grace. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. What this means is difficult to know, but somehow, in some dimension, Satan and the Lord can communicate. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And I imagine that the Lord was not asking Satan for information because he needed an answer, but it was more of a rhetorical question, a conversation starter. 
Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. So the answer was yes, Satan had considered Job because he was aware that God was protecting him. And he insults God by saying there's nothing to his so-called allegiance to you. He's just in it for what you have given him. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So, for reasons that are difficult to understand, the Lord chose to remove the hedge of protection around this righteous man, and the stress was about to begin. So we get to verse 13. And one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their oldest brother's house, you know, as they were prone to do, a messenger came to Job and said, and here we go, get ready for the punch in the gut. The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Out of the clear blue sky, a terrible tragedy. All of the loss of these expensive animals, and not only that, but the employees. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Well, perhaps that was a thunderstorm, and lightning struck an area where they were out in the open field, and maybe it had been dry, and grass caught on fire. Who knows whether it seemed like a supernatural occurrence at the time or a part of a storm, but it destroyed everything. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, here we go, time number four, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. You only think you care about your stuff until you find out that something has happened to those that you love. And I can't imagine the devastating loss of a single child, but to lose all ten of your adult sons and daughters at one time when no one had even been sick would be so stressful that it would be off the scale. I don't know if you have ever taken one of those stress inventory quizzes to find out what your score might be, but there is an interesting one 
that is published on the website for the American Institute of Stress. It's called the Holmes-Rahe Stress Inventory. And any score above a 300 means that there's a high likelihood that something will happen to your health in a short period of time. Well, Job is so far above 300 if you count each of the deaths of his 10 children individually and then put with it the financial loss and the other things that are coming, that it almost boggles the mind. But here we are in Job 1. At this, Job got up. Now imagine he hasn't really processed this yet. He's in shock. He doesn't really even feel any emotion. He's numb. Job got up and tore his robe. I'm sure it was a beautiful, soft, luxurious robe, the finest that could be had. And so he rips it to show his terrible grief and distress and shaved his head. So while his remaining servants looked on, he walks mechanically into whatever bedroom or dressing chamber or bathroom he had and can you see him in your mind's eye beginning to cut his hair and then he takes a straight edge razor and maybe he has some sort of a looking glass like a piece of flat silver and he shaves himself bald expressionless then he fell to the ground in worship and said Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. This takes the concept of patience to a whole new level. When I think of patience, I think of not being irritated with being far back in a slow line, waiting to be checked out at a store or something. But this kind of patience is so precious. Here he has been stressed to the point that maybe he could have had a stroke from high blood pressure or something. And his impression, his immediate knee-jerk reaction is to worship God. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So then we get to chapter 2. And on another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? So again, somehow, some way, in some dimension, Satan comes before God, the Lord allows it, and the Lord initiates a conversation by asking him a rhetorical question. Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know, but they do. 
and it is because sometimes God will allow it. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Imagine all these boils. They were probably a manifestation of a bad bacterial infection that needed a good round of antibiotics. But he was miserable. Then in verse 9, his wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Don't forget, everything that we've been reading about happened to her too. We don't know what her initial reaction was, but by this point she's had it. And she just wants to forget she ever knew this man. He replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So then we go on in chapter 2, and we read that his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, hear about his troubles and come to sympathize with him. And they don't just come for an evening and bring a casserole, but they actually come and stay for an entire week. And the scripture tells us that they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their head, and sat for seven days and nights without anyone speaking to him. Somebody had to be coming and giving them food and water. They had to be lying down and sleeping part of the time. They had to be getting up and walking around some, but they were there, the ministry of presence. And that seems like something a real friend would do. But then, after Job finally breaks the ice and says something, the friends begin to speak as well. And for chapter after chapter in this book of Job, they are blaming him for what has happened, blaming the victim. A good example of this is Job 4, 7 through 9. And you talk about stress. First, you lose all of your net worth, and then you lose all of your children, and then you lose your health, and then you lose the confidence of your wife, and then when you know in your heart that you're a person of character and integrity, you're blamed for everything that's happened? Job 4, 7-9. One of Job's friends, consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God, they perish. At the blast of his anger, they are no more. Of all the gall. So Job goes back and forth with them a little bit, and then we come to Job 13. And he says, in verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. What? Patience. How can he stand this anymore? A lesser man might have committed suicide. A lesser man might have screamed at the sky, shaking his fist and cursing God, as his wife suggested that he do. But we know that by the end of the book, the Lord gently 
comes to Job and chides him for continually maintaining his innocence and questioning God, although he didn't sin with his mouth. And then God chides his comforters for their unjust words, and Job offers sacrifices at God's request for the three friends and prays for them, and God forgives them. But the most wonderful thing is that over a period of time, not only is his wealth restored, but it's doubled. And somehow he must have had a new wife because he is able to produce 10 more children. And the scripture even talks about when they grow to adulthood. So we see this unbelievable good outcome at the end of this long, dark, difficult trial. And it is in large part because of the way Job was able to cope with it by being patient. So to recap, he lost possessions, people, physical well-being, respect from the community and relationships, and his status and credibility. So what does the Bible say, besides in this book of Job, about patience? There are actually five good reasons why patience is an excellent character trait for coping with stress. And many times patience can actually be a decision that a person going through a difficult trial makes. The first of those five, patience perseveres. In other words, patience stays true to God regardless of the circumstances. So you remember that in Job 1, right after Job finds out that he's lost all of his possessions and his children, he gets up and tears his robe and shaves his head and falls to the ground and says, in short, may the name of the Lord be praised. Well, you get to the New Testament and James brings up Job's example and calls it perseverance in the fifth chapter, James 5, 10, and 11. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Romans 12, 12, be patient in tribulation. Okay, that's kind of an old-fashioned Bible-type word, tribulation, but really, tribulation is a form of stress. 2 Timothy 2.3, Paul again, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So hardship is stressful, and endurance is a form of perseverance. Imagine if you went through the infidelity of a spouse or a kid that was terribly sick or something that was extremely disruptive to your life. What if you chose to persevere? What if you chose to endure the hardship and stay true to God no matter what, like Job? Second, out of those five things, patience is not presumptuous or proud or entitled. Remember that Job said to his wife, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In other words, he says, I don't deserve any particular great treatment from the Lord. 
Who am I? And so I even imagine a minor form of stress, like someone in one of those annoying long lines where they have to wait and wait and they're actually in a hurry and they're doing a slow burn because the person in front of them in line doesn't have their act together and they're, they're taking too long. And what if you could just stop being presumptuous? What if you could stop feeling entitled to instant everything? What if you could take a deep breath and make a decision to be patient? And focus on something else for a moment. Don't you think that some of the stress of the moment would pass? Ecclesiastes 7.8 The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. All right, so the first one was that patience perseveres. The second one is that it's not presumptuous, proud, or entitled. And the third one, patience does not pin blame on God. Back to Job 1. One of the verses said, In all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And then in Job 2.10, says almost the same thing. In all this Job did not sin in what he said. What if you lost your job? And you began to question God and blame Him. Why did you let this happen to me? You know I was working hard. You know I loved that job. You know I got up early every day and did my best. David said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. You know, when Job was watching his mouth, he didn't have any idea how it was going to turn out. He didn't know that his wealth was going to be restored and that somehow his heart would heal from the horrible loss of those children and that other children would come into his life. He didn't know that he would regain the respect of the people in the community. He didn't know that he would get over that awful condition of boils all over him. But he was careful with his mouth, and it paid off. The fourth thing, then, is that patience perceives the plan of God. One of the most interesting things in the whole book of Job, I haven't even read to you yet, but you find it in Job 19, 23 through 27. Somehow, some way, Job was able to perceive something that a prophet could only know. He says, oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. And that alone is amazing because, of course, they were. They became a part of the Word of God. He goes on, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Job looked ahead to the afterlife and he even prophesied about the resurrection. So it wasn't just about right here and right now when I am so miserable and so grieved. Verse 27, I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. That's pretty good insight from a man who didn't even have the Bible yet. David said in Psalm 39, 7-9, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. 
Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But get this. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. That sounds like patience to me. Waiting for the Lord. Recognizing that something good is coming. And that this life is nothing but a mist. It's gone in a heartbeat. Romans 8.25 But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. That's exactly what Job turned to to cope when he was stressed to the absolute limit of his physical endurance. Back to James 5 again. He says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Did you catch that? Until the Lord's coming? The very same thing that Job was talking about? In other words, deal with your stress by being patient because something good is ahead. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And you're probably familiar with Romans 8:28. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Nobody went up to Job at the time and said, hey, you know, this is really difficult, but someday your whole story is going to wind up in the word of God. And for thousands of years, it's going to provide comfort and strength to people who don't understand why good things happen why bad things happen to good people. No one said that to him. But it was true that God was working the situation that it looked like Satan had brought such chaos to for the ultimate good. And then finally, patience perseveres. That was number one. Patience is not presumptuous, proud, or entitled. That was number two. Patience does not pin blame on God. That was the third Patience perceives the plan of God. That was the fourth one. And last, patience proceeds from God as a characteristic of love and fruit of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, the fourth verse, it begins to talk about the different characteristics of love, and it says, Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It is not arrogant. But love is patient. And so if we really love God and he allows stressful situations to come into our lives, we will choose to be patient. And then we read in Galatians 5.22 that among other things, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. So the bottom line is that this is a wonderful coping mechanism for people who are maxed out with especially and extraordinarily difficult situations. But it also works for the trivial, like getting caught in traffic. Are you stressed? Practice patience. Blessings to you. And if this has helped you in any way, please pass it along.